but I started to notice a pattern. I started to notice that the strengths of the person or the owner or the leader of a company or a division tended to become the strengths of their business. And where they tended to be weak, so did their business become weak. And I thought, wait a minute. If, so, I, so I dug a little deeper and I said, okay, businesses are run by people. So if that's the case, then a business kind of has a personality. Welcome to Create New Futures. Thought-provoking conversations with leaders, experts, and interesting minds. Join us as we explore ideas and reflect on practices that you can use and apply to create and shape the future. With your host, author and strategy consultant, Aviv Shahar. Welcome to Create New Futures, where we develop conversations with leaders and entrepreneurs to explore how you can create new futures for you and for your business. This is Aviv, and today I'm speaking with Carl Gould. Carl is a business growth expert advising organizations on how to unleash their growth. He built three multi-million dollar businesses by the age of 40, and his team of mentor coaches helped many entrepreneurs dramatically grow their business. Carl has written seven books on the subject of business, strategy, leadership, and growth, and he is here today to share current insights. Carl, it's great to have you here. Welcome. Well, Aviv, thank you so much for having me, and I appreciate the opportunity to uh, share some knowledge with you and uh, some experience with your listeners. So thank you. Tell me first, uh, share first, what are you working on at this time? What energizes and excites you? Well, you know, I'm, I'm at, you know, I was told once I started getting my first couple of gray hairs that that's really good news because now you have something to say and you might have, you've gone from knowledge to wisdom. So I'm not so sure if that's true, but, <laughs> but I'm certainly taking advantage of it as best I can. And one, uh, so what's been really exciting for me is uh, last year I, I wrote or co-authored four books. Um, so that's been really exciting for me. I have a couple of other good ideas. Uh, I think they're good ideas coming out. And um, so I'm really psyched about the content I've been creating recently and, and how that's fueling the growth of my business. So that's really been, um, that's really what's been juiced, you know, lighting me up recently. With the focus you have on helping clients grow, what are the biggest challenges that you're seeing, that you're observing for business leaders today? Uh, well, first off is that the landscape of how people buy and how their clients want to be served has changed dramatically. And most business leaders are holding on to some older principles too long. And, and what I, what specifically is most business leaders are undervaluing the intangibles of their business. So, so if I can ask you a quick question, if you were to think of that, well, quick question to the listener, if think about this listener for a moment, if you were to raise, increase your prices, no matter how recently you've done it, but you increased your pricing to your current clientele, what percentage of your clientele would abandon you? They would leave. They would say, oh, Aviv, you know what? I was fine, but you raised your prices 1%. I'm out of here. And if you would, if your answer to that is, well, I would lose 0% of my clients. 
well, what if I raised your prices 3%, 5%, 7%? Or if you're in a, in a business that has very tight margins, maybe a quarter of a percent. Right. right. If, if, I were, if I were to do that and nobody were to leave me, what that tells me is that I have, uh, what that tells me is that my clientele appreciates my intangibles beyond the utility of the pro- my product and service. And so that is a great sign. If you could raise your price any percentage at all and have zero or very little attrition, what they're telling you is we like you for uh, the relationship we have with you. And, and, if, and if you're saying to yourself, I could raise my pricing and not lose anybody, then, then what that means is I'm undervaluing my intangibles a little bit and I have to up the ante in, my, in the, the depth of relationship with my clients. So this is most businesses, Aviv, they fall in love with their products. They fall in love with their services. They're constantly looking for areas of improvement which is great. You should do that. But what I'm suggesting here is fall, fall back in love with your clients, not your products or service. So with that's with, where they tend to undervalue. Yes. Yes. Let me ask uh, you, because I, I want to thread a bit back in time and explore what led you to do the kind of work you, you're doing today. So how did you discover your passion to help entrepreneurs grow their business? When, when did you know that growth and coaching and, and mentoring in the capacity that, that you evolved to be doing today, when, when, you know, when did you know that that was going to be the focus of your work? Um, you know, I went to a personal development seminar in 1990, and I just fell in love with this idea that you could help people set goals, achieve those goals, uh, help them uh, achieve work-life balance, strategize their business. So it was 1990 and 91 where I said, this is going to be part of my life going forward. Even though my first, I was in my first business at that time, I had a landscaping company. It, within a couple of years, I sold that business and I started a construction company. So even though I was in those types of businesses, I knew my future was going to be in coaching somehow. What was it about the, that self-development, personal development experience that captivated you so much? You know, I, I, I became more self-aware. I became more aware and I became more self-aware. So all of a sudden, um, I, I started to realize what I did well in life. I started to realize what I didn't do so well in life. And, and I, you know, it's, you know, I, I was carrying around to that point in my life, just, you know, I was in this bubble. I just, you know, I, I like any kid is, or anybody, I was self-referral. I was in my early twenties at the time. And to that point in my life, it was all about, you know, getting good grades and then getting into college and then, you know, following through on my studies and playing a sport. So it was all about me, me, me getting ready for, you know, the next stage of development in my life. And then I, I went to the personal development and I said, it, it opened my eyes to how big the world is. You know, I'd never left. I'm a native of New Jersey, never left the area, uh, grew up in that, you know, grew up in that basic um, Northeast, um, never traveled all that much. And I met new people. I heard new perspectives. I heard that, you know, certain challenges that I have in my life, they don't even define them as challenges. They're opportunities. And I thought, man, 
that's a cool way to look at this. And so we just opened up a whole different world as far as how you think, how you could act. I mean, it was, it was really enlightening for me. And how did you then take that impulse, that energy, that excitement? What, was the, what were the next few steps that uh, you practically implemented to create the, the kind of service and focus really on helping businesses, small and medium businesses grow? How did you do that? How did you make that transition? Well, you know, when I first started coaching, I used to, um, uh, you know, it's pretty standard practice when you're working with somebody that you, um, you, do, you, you do a personality assessment, a disc assessment, Myers-Briggs, some sort of assessment that shows you what your style tends to be, where you might have strengths, where you might have blind spots. And, um, and so when I first started coaching, I took that as well. But I started to notice a pattern. I started to notice that the strengths of the person or the owner or the leader of a company or a division tended to become the strengths of their business. And where they tended to be weak, so did their business become weak. And I thought, wait a minute. If, so, I, so I dug a little deeper and I said, okay, businesses are run by people. So if that's the case, then a business kind of has a personality, right? Even if the business is a robot, it was developed by a person serving people, so it's going to have a personality. And so if I can understand the person, can I understand the corresponding business functions? And it turns out you can. So um, one of the ways I learned to make very um, significant impact with our clients early on was if I could understand the strengths and blind spots of the owner, I could understand the correlating strengths and blind spots of the business. And then I could dive right in on those blind spots or weaknesses and make immediate impact. And what I found was that the person was very coachable in that area at the same time. And was that the formative experience that then inspired and led you to the developing and articulating the seven stages of small uh, business success? Right on. That, that was the growth model that I created. That's the growth model that I created. And that shows people a very specific path from, you know, to growth. And so, um, yeah, so, so let me ask sure. you about, let me ask you about that because you describe in the seven stages of um, small business success, the first stage of business is the strategic planning stage. When a dream is born, you, you describe it as, as such. What are the, the top reasons as to why a business never gets off the ground and stays arrested in the planning stage? Well, uh, so those are, two, those are two slightly different questions. And so why does a business not get off the ground? Well, you know, sometimes... Aviv, you, you, you know, I, I'm sure this has happened to you. Well, maybe this hasn't happened to you. Um, maybe, but, but it certainly happened to me. In my head, I've got this great idea. Like every idea in my head seems to be a great idea. And then I start to put it on paper or I start to explain it to somebody else. And as I'm saying it, it doesn't sound like such a great idea anymore. <laughs> my great idea evaporated on me. And so sometimes a business won't get off the ground because the idea itself has not been fully formulated. Now, the other reason why, and you, and you choose not to launch it, you know, like I, I remember, um, I, I don't know if you know this, but I invented the cloud. I did. <laughs> I remember 10 years ago. Yeah. Yep. 
You should laugh because I invented it, but I didn't do anything about it. I remember sitting there at my computer one day saying, why am I, why am I fighting with my computer to learn how to store all my documents and, you know, it crashes and all this. Why doesn't Microsoft or Apple, you know, there wasn't even Google at the time. Um, why don't they just, why don't they house it? And I just log in and all my stuff is there because I had some software that you could do that and some that you couldn't. And so I invented the cloud, but I didn't do anything about it. So I didn't take any action. So it didn't go anywhere. Um, but what a great idea when the rest of them finally, you know, took on my idea. I should have uh, at least tested it or something. I would restate or reframe. I, I, I know why you're saying what you're saying. You imagined the cloud. I don't know that you invented the cloud, but it, at least it, it is provocative to make the point about moving from planning into implementing and, and taking action. I, I believe you call stage two the specialty stage. And I think you, you qualify that or you define that as, as the stage when a job is born. What is that stage about? So a job is born, meaning in stage one, you know, when in the second part of your answer before is why they don't get off the ground is sometimes the planning is just never done. And so in stage one, we like to create a strategic plan, get those great ideas out of your head onto paper. So it's compelling and inspiring. And so a job is born when you share your idea, you tell people about it and they buy into your idea. They buy your subscription or your product or your service or whatever. And all of a sudden, you're now in business. So you've created yourself a job. Okay. Now, even if you're a product-based business or you're eventually going to scale, even in the beginning, Bill Gates bought himself a job. Steve Jobs bought himself a job in the beginning. They were the salesman, the manufacturer, the licensor, whatever. Okay. They had all those roles. But in the beginning, you, um, at, in stage two, a job is born because you have in your plan created a specialty. You've created a specialty, your area of expertise. And you have, um, and so you've established that authority. Right, you established that authority. Yeah. It's, it's based. Right? So it's, it, you, must, you must develop in this stage some kind of authority or even thought leadership. And the, the reality is that many people fail to do that. So many people get arrested in, in uh, not even fulfilling or actualizing the full potential of stage two in failing to build the authority and thought leadership that enables them to uh, command a market. Correct. Correct. So we, and during that stage two, we're not only going to announce our authority, we're also going to finalize our go-to-market strategy. We're also going to find out how much can we charge for this service? How often is somebody going to buy it? What's the volume of the purchases when they buy, right? And how are, um, you know, and so we know the frequency, the duration, the amount, and what the product is. That, get, that gives us a full go-to-market strategy and helps us become the expert. So describe, please, Carl, then the third stage in your framework and why did you call that stage the, the, synergy, the synergy stage? What, what is that stage about? And, and also, what are the leadership requirements as businesses evolve to that third stage? Yeah, the third stage is, re stage three is really interesting because we also call it the graveyard of most small businesses. 
because um, here's where the owner has to give up a little bit of control. And we call it synergy because you are, you are attempting to synergize or align a group of people around your mission, vision, values, and purpose. Meaning you don't have a lot of systems yet set up. Uh, it's a little too early to try to implement systems. What you need is a, is a team of people that are passionate about what you're doing, why you're doing it, and how you choose to do it. And this team of people are going to be committed to getting the job done no matter what it takes. So it doesn't have to be, um, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're not going to be a well-defined system. They're not going to be an operations manual necessarily. It's not going to be perfectly documented out yet. But you're going to have to have those people that are willing to wear many hats and willing to do the sorts of things that to, to you know, get the job done. So this is the person that might be a professional a blue co in a white collar job. But you know what? Sometimes they have to run outside and unload the truck, you know, and bring the materials in. And sometimes they have to run and do an errand that is below their pay grade um, or below what they think it is. And so as a leader, you now need to you now need to be more of a mentor, of a coach, a guide. You, you have to also be a little bit of an enforcer because you will have, while you might not have systems, you'll certainly have goals and targets um, and, and measurements, you know, metrics. And so you're gonna have to enforce those and say, okay, guys, I know we're not, I know we're not you know, our systems aren't perfect and, and we're all here working hard, but we do need to get a certain objective. So you do, you know, you start to become the person who's in charge now. So the essence, so the essence of that stage is achieving results through other people, and to achieve results through other people, you have to create a sense of cohesion and a sense of unified mission and purpose. Exactly, exactly, and and here's where it can it can become challenging. Is the first thing you said was right on. You have to get things done through other people, and that means you get sometimes have to give up control. You have to let them make mistakes. You have to let them use their own initiative. And sometimes you have to let them get to the finish line differently than you thought, that, than the original, well, the original idea was designed. Let me proceed and, and ask you about stage four, which I believe is the one you call the system stage, which you qualify by saying this is when a true business is born by building systems and tools that enable the business. So wh why do so many businesses, as you were describing right now, fail to transition to, to uh, stage four and find the, the graveyard, so to speak, in, in stage three? What is it? What is this step function change that must occur from stage three to stage four to build systems that enable the business? Well, this is, this is a really exciting time for... Um, for any business because you go from what we call a personality-driven company to a process-driven company, right? So you, meaning, you know, in, a, in the first three stages, you are reinventing the wheel every day. You know, how do we do the mail? Well, we do the mail. I go today and depending if I'm hungry, I might get food first and I get mail second or vice versa. And, it's, and there's a lot of variance in how things get done. But in stage four, what you start to do is you start to map things out and you say, okay, let's agree on the best way to sell the products. Let's agree on the best way to deliver the service. Let's agree on the best way to bill. 
you know, invoice. Let's agree on the best way to um, answer a customer service call. And so instead of, if, let's say there's 10 employees, instead of 10 best ways to do things, we all get together and we agree on what is the, what is the one best way we all agree upon. You can always vary it a little bit, but there's a commitment to the standards that you are upholding in the company. So this is really about professionalizing the, the operation of, of the company. It almost sounds yeah. like this is, where, this is when the company pivoted from being almost something like a hobby to something that, that feels and, and uh, tastes and smells and look like a professional business. Correct. Correct. And you are now on the path to scaling your company or at least giving yourself the ability to scale your company. Because one, one lesson every entrepreneur starts to learn is you can't scale the people, but you can scale the systems and the processes. And so by starting to put those systems and processes in, you are now initiating the ability to scale your company beyond the owner's day-to-day -day activity. You're not there yet, but you've started and initiated that process. Right. And you then describe stage five as the sustainability stage and stage six as the sellability stage. Explain these distinctions and explain, please, the transitions and the significance of evolving to stage five and, and stage six. Yeah. So stage five is usually a goal for many entrepreneurs because at sustainability, this is where you're ultimately scalable. Your, your processes have taken over. Your systems are so strong that you are now known for something other than your product or your service. So, for example, Starbucks is a good example because they have, they're known for their coffee, their coffee shop, cafe, but they are known for their experience because of all of their systems. They play certain music. They have Wi-Fi. They are set up a certain way, you know, so you can lounge out and hang out. So they're now known for the experience as much as they are the product or service. And so at stage five, they are sustainable. And so now that they've gotten this reputation of having a great experience, when they open up a new location, people are actually excited about that. And so the more locations, high tide floats all boats. Okay. So now at stage five, we're sustainable got our systems, things are looking good, we're expanding. Next step is stage six. This is where an asset is born. Now we need managers who manage the system and lead the people. So stage six is a lot like stage three on steroids. In stage three, you were building your implementation team, but in stage six, you're building your management team. And so, um, so your ability to hire a, somebody who's in charge of generating the, the necessary leads for the business, closing those leads into sales, and then having a director of operations, those are the three main management positions that you want to make sure you have in place. And now you're a really strong stage six company. Um, as I'm sure you know, and many of your listeners might be aware, if you're going to go buy a company, one of the first things you want to know about is the management team. Is the owner, does the owner have to be involved? Okay. And, and is, so... And is it still the founder owner or is there already any, or is there already in place a professional management team? 
Exactly. And so if you either, so if you don't have a professional management team by stage six, you need to get one. That is vital that you have a professional management team. And that's what it's all about. Stage six, because now you're an asset. So a business can choose to stay for a, for a good run in, in what you call the stage five, the sustainability stage. Oh, sure. If, if, if at some point you want to convert the asset into a different form of, of equity, essentially sell the, the business, you have to establish those systems, that, especially the, the professional management team, that will make that asset very attractive Uh, purchase for somebody else to to, to uh, get involved in correct correct and and then you also coach entrepreneurs that if they choose to they can build a legacy and create the seventh stage the succession the succession stage what is what is that coaching and mentoring alike in in that phase what is it that they must do Uh, embrace and learn to be prepared uh, to uh, embrace that stage seven? Well, stage seven is, we say, a le- is when a legacy business is born. And that's when you have, you, you're firing on all cylinders, great management team. Um, and you're, you're now ready to fire employee number one. That's you, the founder. You get to promote yourself to chairman of the board Um, you could sell the business, you can keep parts of it, but the moment you announce that you're out of the day-to-day uh, operations of the business, your, um, the value of the company goes up because the market recognizes that the new leadership is ready to take over and take it to the next step. And it, their vision is a big part of the growth of the company. It's not just about the founder's vision anymore. This is about the professional management team's vision. And that's where it gets really exciting because as a, a stage seven business, each generation or each new owner increases the value of the business. I often, uh, Carl, like to ask teams, what is the most uh, difficult thing in the world? By which I mean, what is the most difficult challenge to overcome or the most difficult conundrum to, to solve? Or the most difficult achievement to bring about, and I get people to write their answers to this question, and people write answers like win a Nobel Prize, win an Olympic gold medal, write a bestseller, uh, some even say live regret free, some say to become truly famous or become an astronaut, and all of these are good answers. But I still propose that they are narrowly framed and that I'm actually seeking a bigger, more a meta-level answer, a meta-level formulation that is the foundation of many of these other answers. And, and the insight that I then share is that the most difficult thing to, to realize is, is actually not getting rich and it's, it's not even being on stage and performing or even winning the Nobel Prize. But the, the most difficult thing in the world is actually to get the right ingredients in the right place at the right time. And that it is that convergence that creates an opportunity window that may lead to Nobel Prize, to fame, possibly to great financial success, and fundamentally to the realization of, of your fullest potential. The convergence of these three right stuff, the right ingredients in the right place, 
at the right time. And I, I say that because we see so many situations where you see people have the right ingredients, even in the right place, only to discover that they came too early or too late. Or you sometimes get to your destination in the right time, only to find out that you're actually not in the right place after all. So, you know, when we look at, at the story of the Beatles, the Beatles were in the right place at the right time, and they brought together the right ingredients to become the, the Beatles. And any huge, or even not huge, even on a, on a smaller scale, magnificent and meaningful success is somehow a, a, um, a manifestation of the convergence of those three qualifiers. So since you have mentored and coached so many businesses in helping create and help them create this convergence of right place, right time, right ingredients, how do you advise, how do you help leaders create or, or facilitate or enable the alchemy that, that indeed help them realize their fullest potential? What, what are some key tips, strategies that you help leaders uh, with to achieve those outcomes? So the, you know, the, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, now and again, the Beatles, Elvis Presley, Facebook, uh, Google, you know, some businesses are just the right idea at the right time. And, and look, you can't, you know, like I said, I invented the cloud, but I was before my time, right? Too early, wasn't the right guy to invent, whatever, you know what I mean? So you, um, one of the things that I'll look at is I'm, when, when it comes to somebody's personal development, I like to talk to them about creating a full life plan. You know, what do you want the next, what do you want the decades of your life to be like? What do you want the next 10 years to be like? What do you want the five years, three years, one year? And, and really, and, and who do you want to be in, in the various roles of your life? What are the categories and roles in your life that you want to play? And how do you, how do you want to set yourself up for success there? And that would also include your professional roles, your businesses and all that. So you're really clear about the outcomes that you want in your life. Because what I've learned over the years, Aviv, is that, you know, if you, if you ask somebody what they want, their, their knee-jerk response will be money, I want to be rich, you know, I want wealth. And then when you really dive down to it and you say, well, what does that mean for you? And what are you trying to accomplish by being that? And most people find out that they can have a much more, they can have, a, they can have a fulfilling life with much less material possessions and accomplishments and achievements than they actually thought in the beginning. Not that I encourage people to dial back their goals, but they will, you know, they will, you get to choose. Most people have a a bit of distorted view of what it's going to take to make them happy and fulfilled. And they think it's going to take a lot more than it actually will. So, so that's on the one side, on the, on the personal fulfillment side, on the business side, I'm just a huge advocate of, of, you know, trying, trying to walk a mile in the shoes of my, of my most likely client. What is really bothering them right now? What keeps them up at night worrying? What do they feel guilty about at the end of the workday when they come home? You know, and what are, what are the events and scenarios of their life and business that are going on right now that make working with me 
a, a necessity, a must, an urgency. And if I combine those two, I will have a fulfilled leader who really understands their client and is doing the work they love the way they love to do it. And so if you put those together, that becomes a very fulfilling and balanced approach. Right, right. I know we, uh, you have a flight to catch in a few minutes, so let me just uh, wrap it up with, with two or three final questions. Uh, first, curious, uh, who is the one or two most influential mentors that, that shaped your approach and, and your philosophy, if, if you can share that, please? Sure. So um, uh, very early in my career, the personal development seminar I went to was uh, a guy by the name of Tony Robbins, which right. that was very influential to, to, you know, learn his methodology and his approach. I later took a, um, a course on organizational life cycle. I got a certification through the Adizas Institute in California. And yes. Ichak Adizas was very influential in my life in that uh, not only did I learn a lot from him, but we, he and I had the chance to get to know each other personally. And he was actually the one who encouraged me to publish my methodology. And I didn't even realize it was much of a methodology. But after explaining it to him, he says, hey, you really have something here. You ought to publish it. And he was the one that encouraged me down that path. And um, it was very, very fruitful. Um, so, um, you know, I, I very, very um, uh, uh, grateful for that. I, I come from a big family. And, um, you know, I've got four brothers, five sisters. And, um, you know, my parents and my family's always had a big impact on me. You know, they've oftentimes taught me what I should do and sometimes taught me what I shouldn't do. Uh, but I, I've always taken a lot of valuable lessons from that and, and use my family as a real source of inspiration. So uh, throughout my life, those are the people that mold, you know, help mold and shape who I am today. Wonderful. Carl, where will you be in 10 years? Where will I be in 10 years? Well, you know what, I, I have a feeling that if you and I are talking 10 years from now, I'm probably running through an airport somewhere. Um, but in 10 years from now, um, I, I, I want to be able to impact uh, people on a, at a greater scale through sharing the experiences that I've had over the years. I've collected a huge amount of data about the, the leaders we've worked with, the countries we've worked in, and the businesses that we've had the chance to touch. And I want to spend the next 10 years sharing, giving that data back to uh, data back as long alongside with those distinctions and observations so so I can pass the baton to the next group of leaders and they can make it even better than I was able to make it so that's where I hope to be finally as we bring this to lending what parting wisdom do you want to offer to people listening to create new futures well I was in a, 20 years ago, I was in a business that ran me as much as I ran it. I was not happy. I was stressed out, burnt out. And I made a deal with myself that I'm never going to do anything again that I didn't like. I'm not going to work with people I don't like. I'm not going to do the work I don't like. And it was probably the best decision I ever made in my life. And I got to tell you, back in 1996, when I decided I want to be a professional coach, there wasn't really the industry that it is today. And so there, and the average coach at the time made $23,000 a year, according to a major survey at the time. And that was not even enough to live on. And I, and I left a, you know, 
a successful construction company so I can get into an industry that didn't exist and any people that were even practitioners in it were making no money. And, uh, you know, it sounded crazy at the time and sounds kind of crazy as I'm saying it to you now, but I think it's the best decision I ever made. And, and one of the things I've learned is that there's a lot of ways in this life to make money. Um, but you know, uh, it's, I stopped working the day I got into coaching. Um, and I, and I wish that for every person that listens to this, that they find what truly lights them up. They do the work that they, you know, that they enjoy with the people they enjoy. And it's going to be a whole lot more fulfilling for them. Life is too short and too precious to spend your, your most uh, critical currencies, which is energy and time in something you hate doing. You'd rather find something that, that's enjoyable and enriching and, and renewing you and call it a job and call it work and it will fulfill you for the rest of your life. Absolutely. No question about it. Thank you uh, so much. Uh, wonderful to uh, catch up with you, uh, I think, in, in somewhere in, in one airport or another. And uh, appreciate all the wisdom you shared with us today. Well, Aviv, thank you so much, and I hope this was valuable for um, your listeners. Um, the, one of the gifts that we like to give to anyone that's listening in on one of your podcasts is we offer a free what we call business analysis. So if any of your listeners want to take us up on it, just go to carlgould.com, and on the contact page, just send us a note, put in business analysis. We'll take it from there and make sure we get you on the path of, of growing your next great idea. And we'll have all the links and the ways to connect with you on the show notes. Thank you again, Carl, very much. Oh, anytime. Thanks again. Here we are. We've landed this Create New Futures journey, and it's your time to take action, to create your new future. Here are a few steps you can take this week. First, create an inventory of your life. Do you enjoy your work? Do you enjoy the people you work with? What would make your professional experience even more energizing and enjoyable? Life is too short to spend your most precious time in something you really do not enjoy. Second, imagine where you want to be in 10 years from now. What will excite you and what will make you most proud? Develop the roadmap to your vision. What capabilities and systems must you develop? What must you learn and how do you need to evolve to achieve and create the future you imagine? Third, build the support system and the dream team you need. What support and help do you need? Who are the mentors and the coaches that will help you catalyze that growth? What concrete actions will you take in coming days to create movement towards your desired future? Okay, one more thing. You can reach me directly by phone and on email to explore how we can help you and your team create your new future. See you next time.